Glad you're all here uh, watching with us this morning. Welcome to Calvary Napa live stream. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. Be filling in for Pastor Rob this morning. I just want to give you guys a quick update on the state of affairs here before we get started today. Um, as many of you know, uh, quite a few of our, our people got sick over the past couple weeks, uh, myself and my wife included. And um, so we decided uh, to go ahead and go online for a couple weeks uh, just to give everyone a chance to heal up and uh, an opportunity to rest and recover and come back healthy and hopefully uh, not get any other people sick. So um, we decided this would be the, the wisest course of action to uh, take a couple weeks away from meeting, uh, not to neglect it, of course, uh, but just for the uh, extra precaution and, and safety of everybody here. And so uh, as far as we know, everybody that has uh, gotten sick is either recovered or recovering well, um, making uh, their way back to normal. So everybody is doing well by God's grace. And so just wanted to share that with you guys before we get started today. Uh, we are going to be doing a couple of outdoor services when we do come back together next week, just to allow for a little bit of extra space uh, in the meantime, just in case there are uh, folks that are uh, still concerned about uh, the spread of COVID or anything like that. So uh, this coming week, we'll be starting the book of First Thessalonians. Pastor Rob's going to be teaching again, and we will be outside at normal time, 1015. Uh, so we'll be meeting outdoors, we'll spread it out and enjoy the sunshine, and uh, as we know, the Lord has really uh, blessed and sustained us through this past year of inside, outside, uh, everything going on. So um, that's that. So hope to see you outside next week. If you guys wouldn't mind opening up your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, we are going to be uh, just in some of the first verses of the first chapter of 2 Corinthians going to make our way through uh, verses 3 through 7 this morning, and uh, we'll, we'll poke around at a couple other places in the book, but 2 Corinthians will be our text for this morning, and I've titled this message, The God of All Comfort, The God of All Comfort, and that is straight out of the text, and we will get to that. Let me pray before we start. Father, thank you for the great love with which you've loved us. God, we thank you for your abundant mercy, Father, your protection over us here, this body that you've gathered together, God, and we thank you that regardless of what happens in this life, uh, you have met our every need eternally in Christ, whether we have joy, whether we have suffering, whether we have sickness, whether we have health, Father, uh, we await eternity with you. If we die today, God, we will be eternally grateful for what you've done. So we thank you, Father, that you have removed the fear of death from us uh, through the resurrection of your Son. We thank you that you've given us a great inheritance that we look forward to when we get to see you face to face. And may that sustain us uh, through everything that this life brings toward us, Father. Uh, we know that you are immovable, that your promises stand, and that your word is truth. And so we thank you for it, God. We ask that the Spirit would illuminate these words for us, God, that you would help us to understand, that you would pierce our hearts, Father, and, and shape our minds with your word. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3 today, but just a little bit of introduction for you guys. Uh, this is part of Paul's, obviously, his introduction to the letter, 
And more than likely, this is actually the third letter that he has written to the church at Corinth. Uh, we have 1 Corinthians, which we have obviously in our Bibles, and then we have a second letter that has been lost through history. Maybe it'll turn up someday. I don't think so, but uh, who knows? And then we have 2 Corinthians, the letter that we will be reading from today. And to put it very simply, Paul and the Corinthian church have a complex history. By the writing of this letter, it's been five to six years since he first planted, established the church there in Corinth. And we're looking at about a year or two after the writing of 1 Corinthians and the uh, following letter that he wrote to them. But since we won't be making our way through the entire book, obviously, this is just one Sunday, uh, we won't be getting into too much background for today. But one aspect that I think is going to be very helpful uh, for our understanding of this passage in particular is the fact that much of 2 Corinthians involves Paul defending his ministry as an apostle. See, some of his opponents that had come into the Corinthian church continued to reject Paul's claim of apostleship and therefore, by extension, the gospel message that he had brought to them. And one of their claims against them, or against him, was that the amount that Paul had suffered, the amount that he had suffered, demonstrated that he was not legit. It demonstrated that he was not a true apostle because he had gone through so much suffering. And they clearly here display that they did not understand God's purposes in suffering. When they saw everything that Paul had gone through, they thought, surely this is not God's guy, right? This is not God's man. This is not God's apostle. And I would caution us because we can do the very same thing. Not that there are apostles living on the earth today, but when we see people uh, just going through it and going through it and going through it, uh, we can be tempted to think, what? Man, they must have some serious sin in their life that's unconfessed. God is just handing it to them, right? If this was really God's child, they wouldn't be going through all this. They would be living a blessed life, a comfortable life, a peaceful life. And that's exactly what some of these naysayers were thinking about Paul. It's the same way, actually, that Peter thought about Jesus, and he had to have his understanding corrected, right? If you remember in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, what did he say? That's right. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter said, no way. No way is the Christ going to suffer all these things. God's not going to do that. And even the same line of thinking turns up in the way that we see that the Quran uh, denies the crucifixion. Muslims will say, no way. God did not, he would not put his prophet Jesus to death on a cross. He would not do that. And in all three of these examples, obviously they're very different, but in all three of these we find a wrong understanding of God's purposes in suffering, in tribulation, in affliction. And what Paul does for us is he brings clarity. He brings right perspective to the concept of suffering. 
and he praises the God of all comfort. And that's where we begin today. In verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to read through all the way to verse 7 just to get us started here. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. It's the God of all comfort. And for you note takers, we've got three main headings today, if you will. The first one is the source of comfort. The source of comfort. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul begins, as he always does, with praise and worship of the Father. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one to whom Jesus submitted himself when he endured the greatest suffering on our behalf. And surely Paul has the cross in mind as he begins this letter and he blesses the name of God, whom he calls the God and Father of Jesus. Not to imply, of course, that Jesus himself is not God, but I believe to emphasize the Father's role in the suffering of Christ. Christ, who, entrusting himself to the Father, went to the cross and paid the penalty for sin. And so Paul praises the Father, and he goes on. He says, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So we have two wonderful descriptions of God here. And what we'll do first is just take a, a quick look at these two words, mercies and comfort. And that's going to help us to understand the rest of the passage. Starting with, the Father of mercies. So this word mercies is translated elsewhere. Compassion, God is the, the Father of mercies. He's the Father of compassion. It's a deep feeling toward another's difficulty or misfortune. And this is the character of the living God. The letter from First Peter begins in almost the exact same way. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And you know, James 1, every good and perfect gift is from Him, from the Father. Every good thing that we enjoy in this life and the next, life, breath, everything is a direct result of His mercies, of His compassion toward a lost people. So he is the father of mercies, and that'll be important later. But then Paul refers to him as the God of all comfort. Comfort or encouragement. It's the same root word as the ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? You guys have heard Pastor Rob teach through this. The helper, the comforter, the spirit. The word parakaleo, to come alongside and comfort, to encourage, to strengthen. God is in the business of comforting. But not only, not only in a sense of a, of a soothing, of a, of a shoulder to cry on, 
Uh, this, this word carries with it much more than just that. He does, of course, provide that refuge. He provides that safe place. He does soothe and comfort his people in that way, but he also encourages and strengthens that we might not just make it through whatever afflicts us. It's not just that he sustains us with his comfort, but that we might be strengthened through trials. And he is the one that accomplishes this in us. As the beginning of verse 4 says, this God who comforts us in all our affliction. He is the source of it all. He is the source of all comfort, all encouragement. Whatever means he uses, whatever he decides to do, whether it's the Spirit calling his word to mind in the believer, whether it's through the preaching, the teaching of the word, whether it's through a brother or a sister speaking a word of encouragement, he brings comfort to his people because he is compassionate. He does not leave us helpless in our affliction. Now, to put a little asterisk on that, when Paul says affliction, he means affliction, okay? <laughs> whatever, you, whatever comes to mind when you think of affliction, that's exactly what Paul is referring to. And remember, this is the very point where he is defending himself as an apostle. He knows his audience. He knows who he's writing to, who's listening. And later on in his letter, he lists off just a few of the things that he's gone through for the sake of the gospel. So I'm going to read this list here from chapter 11. It says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So, needless to say, Paul knew a thing or two about affliction, probably more than any of us will ever know. But even still, he reminds his readers that the God of all comfort comforts us in all our affliction. The word affliction here, or distress, or tribulation as it's used elsewhere in Scripture, it means internal pressure, like being backed into a corner or, or constricted into a smaller and smaller place or being crushed by the weight of something. It's a pressure. It's a pressure. And Paul describes this feeling here in verse 8 of chapter 2 that we're in here. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever felt this way, you sitting at home? Maybe not in being beaten or shipwrecked or stoned, but perhaps in other ways where you are feeling 
the weight of burdens. You're feeling the internal pressure, and inside you just feel crushed. You feel in despair. You feel hopeless. If you've ever watched a loved one suffering, you know this feeling. You know this feeling very well. And affliction can take many forms. In context, Paul is obviously highlighting the affliction that came through ministry, specifically. But I believe there is room for a wider view, a wider view of affliction here. There is the affliction that comes as a result of faithful service to God, and Paul's going to talk a lot about that. Uh, a result, perhaps even, of God's correction, although this is to be avoided at all costs. Or at other times, affliction seemingly for no reason at all. But we know that with God, nothing is without reason. Nothing is arbitrary. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. Which leads us into the second portion of our passage. So number one, source of comfort. The Father of mercies. The God of all comfort. And number two, the purpose of pain. The purpose of pain. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. How desperately we need this perspective that Paul gives us here. When we are pressed, when we are going through it, more often than not, all that we want is to be out of it. Amen? We just want to be out of it. And of course, none of us should crave suffering, right? Generally speaking, we would say something is wrong if that's the case. Uh, it's some type of, of, you know, disorder of perception there. If we, if we crave suffering, if we crave pain, of course, we should not do that. But nevertheless, affliction is one of those precious meeting points where we must truly trust God. We must trust that He, number one, knows that we're suffering. He knows that we're suffering. Number two, that He cares, right? Number three, that He can and will help us in our suffering. And number four, the one that we often want more than anything, that He has a reason for it that he has a reason for it, that we are not suffering in vain, that there is a purpose in suffering, that there is a purpose in pain. And in just two verses here, Paul affirms every single one of these. He says God is the very Father of mercies, of compassion, of grace. Right? He cares. He is the God of all comfort. He knows. He cares. And he comforts us in all our affliction. He is able and He is willing to help us so that, in this case, we can then comfort others. There are many uses that God has for tribulation for His people, but this one in particular is so sweet. It's so wonderful. And this, my friends, is the very heart of ministry. Whatever I receive from God, I then turn and give to another. God teaches us from His Word. We receive the truth. We apply it in our own lives and then we give it to others. Teaching, making disciples. God gives His great mercy. We receive it by faith 
and then we extend that mercy to others. God comforts us in our affliction. We receive His comfort, His encouragement. He strengthens us through suffering. And then we are better and better equipped to minister to others. The same comfort, the same comfort, minister to others that are suffering. We extend the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. We comfort others with the truth of the gospel, the promises of God, our own experiences of deliverance, our own testimony of God's encouragement, and coming out the other side of tribulation stronger, more mature. I always say, no suffering, no growth. If you don't want to suffer, then you're probably not going to grow. And if you want to grow, then you're probably going to have to suffer. And again, this is just one way that God uses affliction. There are so many more, and, and we'll touch on some of those later. But doesn't this perspective encourage us to endure? That whatever we face, we face it in order to serve others. See, tribulation with the God of Scripture, with the true and living God, tribulation is not a dead-end street like it is for everyone else. No, in fact, it is a highway of opportunities. And this reality in itself is very much a comfort to me personally in the midst of difficult situations because I know that God is going to bring someone into my path. He's going to bring a situation into my path where I can share. I am suffering to serve. And this happens all the time. I know, I know that I will never suffer to the degree that Paul suffered, more than likely, or by no means the degree to which Christ suffered for us. But yet God will still use me. He will still use you to comfort others. He will use you too. Whether you suffer much or whether you suffer little, He has a purpose for it. And this brings us right into verse 5. He says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So the main issue I would propose that we and the rest of the world take with suffering is what? That it's not fair. It's undeserved. It shouldn't exist. If God is a God of love, then He would not cause us to suffer at all. He would not allow suffering in this world that He has created. Well, I'll tell you this, folks. God loves His Son with a love that the human mind cannot comprehend nor capture or express in words. And yet, as Isaiah 53 prophesies of Christ, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Who was more beloved of God than his perfect son? And yet... It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He put him to grief. No one knows suffering like the Savior. No one knows suffering like Christ. And yet, he endured it all willfully for us. 
He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He makes many to be accounted righteous. He bears our iniquities. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That is the good news. That is the good news that God brought about the greatest good. He made peace between creator and creation through what? Through suffering, through the suffering and death of his beloved son in the place of disobedient, blaspheming idol worshipers like us. This is the mighty and mysterious power of God to bring peace through suffering, to bring life through death, to bring mercy through punishment for all who will repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Through his suffering, through his suffering, we can escape the greatest suffering, the eternal fiery lake where torment will never cease. It was through Christ's suffering that we escape that. And in light of that, I would say, our tribulation here pales in comparison. And Paul encourages us to see suffering as a privilege. And I know, I know that in the moment, there is nothing that feels privileged about suffering. But he here vindicates his own suffering as an apostle by the merits of Christ's sufferings, knowing that not only that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, but also that as we share in Christ's sufferings, through him we share in comfort. Now, not sharing in the suffering of the cross that he paid for sin. That is a suffering that is unique to the Son of God. But the suffering that Christ experienced as a man that is communicable, that is shared to all of us. He was tempted in every way that we are. He was rejected, betrayed, mocked, abandoned, on and on and on and on the list goes of Christ's suffering. There is no type of suffering or temptation whether physical or mental, that Jesus did not also endure. And so his compassion, his mercy, is unmatched, as is his ability to comfort, having as a man experienced the full gamut of human affliction to its full extent, right? Jesus never gave in. He experienced all of these things to their full extent in perfect obedience to the Father and yet without sin. He is able to comfort. He is able to strengthen. He is able to encourage those who suffer because he himself also suffered greatly. And he himself, in harmony with the Father and the Spirit, uses our affliction to bring about good for his glory. And so, Romans 8, 28 and 29 ring true. As always, God works all things together for good, and he conforms us to the image of his Son. It is a win-win. And as strange as that may seem, that's exactly how Paul puts it in verse 6. 
referring to himself and those that labor with him, he says this, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. He says, look, no matter what, this works to your benefit. If we suffer, it's for your comfort and your salvation, meaning we labor to spread the gospel, to plant churches, to make disciples, to combat heresy, to combat false teachers, to nurture people into spiritual maturity. And we are afflicted constantly for it. But in doing so, not only will we bring the good news of Christ to you, but we will also ourselves be comforted by God in the process. And in turn, we will then be able to comfort you with that same comfort when you find yourselves in the same position, in the same situations that we find ourselves in. And so the salvation and comfort of God pass from one to another to another, all the way through history to us here and now at this very moment, through much affliction, the gospel has been handed down to us, has been given to us. And through much affliction, much comfort has also been given to us by those who have suffered before us. Don't forget that. Many have paid such a high price for the sake of the gospel, for our salvation, for our comfort. And finally, Number three, number one, we have the source of comfort. Number two, the purpose of pain. And number three, the fruit of endurance. The fruit of endurance. Verse seven, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. See, Paul is already looking ahead with unshaken hope for those who are faithful because he himself knows all too well the power of suffering. He knows the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit, and he knows as well as anyone to rejoice in sufferings having experienced himself the outcome of them all, having himself experienced the fruit of enduring much suffering for Christ. And he considers it a privilege. He considers it a blessing. He considers it a source for joy and rejoicing to be counted worthy to suffer for Christ. The fruits of enduring this suffering, including, but not even limited to, Knowing God's comfort and help, just like Paul is talking about here, we come to a knowledge of God's comfort and help in the midst of suffering. Number two, the ability to serve others, as he's talking about here. In suffering, in being comforted, we are more and more able to minister to those who are hurting because we're comforting them with the same comfort. It doesn't mean that we have to experience the exact same things. God uses the same means of comfort to comfort his people. He's the God of all comfort, and so we're able to minister. The more that we've suffered, the more we are able to minister. This suffering produces steadfastness in faith, 
as we cry out for him, as we call upon his name to rescue us, to deliver us, to cause us to endure, and he does. We are strengthened. We are made steadfast in our faith. It produces a firm hope in eternity as we are stripped of our attachment to this world, as we see that this world is full of suffering, this life is full of suffering. We long and long and long and hope for eternity. We hope for something greater, for something better. It produces humility and maturity, knowing that I am not in control of this world. This world does not revolve around me. And through suffering, I'm being made more and more like Christ. And like I said, it produces a longing for the eternal. It produces a longing to be with Him where it will be much better. And if we turn our eyes back to verses 8 and 9, as we come to our conclusion here, he says this. We read this part already, but I'll read it again. Verses 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Even in his allowance of affliction, even in his oversight of affliction, God is still, as Paul called him, the father of mercies, the father of compassion. He allows us to go through tribulation, to be pressed, to be distressed, in order that we may draw close to him, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. He graciously, through suffering, strips us of our arrogance. He strips us of our self-reliance that we may learn through difficulty to trust in Him. That is gracious. That is merciful. That is compassionate of Him to do that for us. All the while, all the while, comforting, soothing, encouraging, and strengthening us along the way. So not only does he get us through it, but he gets us through it stronger than when we went in. And through all of it, he produces fruit in us. And it's for this reason that Paul goes to great length to show that not only does his suffering not disqualify him as a true apostle, but that his suffering was a gift from the Father. That his suffering was a true sign of his vital connection to Christ. That his suffering was a vault of wisdom, of perseverance, and of ministry, and of hope. And all of these things are wrapped up in his own suffering. The very thing that his opponent said disqualified him as an apostle is, in fact, the marker that he was truly a man that spent his life serving Christ and spent his life pouring himself out as a drink offering for the sake of the gospel. The reality is this. Suffering is inescapable, is it not? It is a universal human experience. Everyone suffers. But to suffer for Christ, and in many ways with Christ, as he comes to our help, that is a suffering that is eternally worthwhile. It's a suffering that leads us to the God of all comfort, 
we have the source of all comfort. He is there. He is near. He is ready to come to our side, to come to our aid. That is a suffering that comes with great purpose. God does not leave us to suffer for no reason. He does not allow suffering for no reason. And that is a suffering that brings forth much fruit. That is the purpose of suffering in the Christian life. And it's something to rejoice over. It's something to reflect on that would bring us great joy that God would use suffering to shape us into the image of Christ. I'm going to absolutely butcher this quote, but it's been said somewhere that whatever message you use to get someone into the church, whatever you've got for them when they come through the door, you must keep them there with the same message. You can't do the bait and switch. You can't bring people in the door with one type of promise and then try and keep them there with a different type of promise. You can't switch it up. What's well, my hope and my prayer that all of you who are watching, all of you who consider Calvary Napa your home, it's my hope and prayer that you came for the suffering servant, Christ crucified. And it's my prayer and my hope that you are sustained by that very same message now and always. You will never be promised health and wealth and perfect hair here in this church building. Pastor Joe can attest to this. Pastor Rob can attest to this. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. You will never be promised these things because we can't promise those things. Those are not the things that we want people coming for. But I can promise that the good news will be proclaimed week after week and year after year that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He accomplished everything that He came to do as a substitute on our behalf, both in His perfection and in His payment for sin and in rising from death, all of which is accredited by God's grace to all who come to Him in repentant faith, trusting in His finished work alone for salvation. That is the good news. That is the result of the suffering of the perfect one, the suffering of the Lamb, the suffering of the Son of God, and the victory of the Son of God over sin and death. And that is all that we have to offer you. We can't promise much more than a Savior and that is all that we need. That is sufficient. That is sufficient for now, and that is sufficient for eternity. So thank you for tuning in with us this morning. I'm going to pray before we head out today. Father, thank you that your ways are so far beyond ours. God, your wisdom is so far above ours. We thank you that you're not like us, God. If such was your wisdom, Father, that you used suffering to bring about the greatest good in all of human history, we thank you, Father, that you and your great wisdom allow us to suffer, to be afflicted, to go through tribulation, Father, that we might bear much fruit, that we might become more, that we might draw closer to you, that we might be comforted by you in the process, and that in turn we might reach out and serve others with that comfort. God, we thank you that you have not left us alone, that you have not left us without help, that you are near, that you comfort us and strengthen us in everything that you allow us 
to suffer, God. And it's all for a purpose. It's all for your glory. It's all for our good. And we praise you, God. We know that on the other side of this life, we will understand uh, with such a greater capacity the true depth of the suffering and victory of Christ as we are conformed into his image and as we are changed. We thank you, Father, that we will rise in glory as Christ rose in glory. And that is where our hope lies. It's not in this world and its promises and its comforts, but it's in the comfort of the good news of Jesus Christ. And for that, we rejoice, God, and we have everlasting joy. And we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your son. We thank you that you gave your very best for us, that he would suffer in our place, that he would rise from the dead and proclaim victory for us who would believe in his name. I pray, Father, that you would comfort our hearts with this truth today and always, God, that we would reflect on these things, and that they would bring us much peace in our tribulation. It's in Christ's name that we pray and we thank you. Amen.